morning, church. My name is Mike Herrera, and I lead the student life team here at WBC. Just a few announcements before we get started. Our desire is for everyone who has professed their faith in Jesus but not been baptized to take this important next step as a believer. If you're interested in learning more about baptism, we invite you to join us for a two-session class that will take place next Sunday, January 15th, and the following Sunday, January 22nd. Sign up at wheatonbible.org baptism. Enrollment for the 2023-2024 school year is now open to everyone who would like to register their child at our weekday preschool. Enrollment is not exclusive to those who attend Wheaton Bible Church, so if you know a family that would be interested in our preschool program, they can enroll online. Check out wheatonbiblepreschool.org for more information. If you or someone you know is struggling with debt, managing debt, or overspending, we'd like to invite you to join us for Financial Peace University. This is a program that's designed to teach you how to handle money biblically through video teaching, class discussions, and small group activities. Classes will be on Thursday evenings and run from January 19th through March 23rd. For more information and to register, visit wheatonbible.org FPU. That's it for today. Thanks for worshiping with us. Hope you have a great week. Good morning and welcome. Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Let's stand. Behold. 
How great a salvation we have in Christ, and it is always good to proclaim our hope in him alone. Here are these amazing words from Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's stand again. Thank you. 
the troubled soul. God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial, who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ.
beautiful lyrics, huh? You may be seated. My name is Kathy Jones, and I am in a life group here at Wheaton Bible. I love it. Every Sunday when I come to church and every time I meet with my life group, it's like, it's like an oasis in the desert. It's like something that refreshes you and keeps you going and recharges you so that you can see through this walk in your relationship with the Lord. I belong to the Saturday morning men's group. Saturday morning, even though it's early, I started coming and just really started enjoying the, the fellowship, going over the teaching and then being around other believers and everybody just inputting. I mean, every signal time that I left, I just, you know, I felt charged up, obviously closer uh, to the Lord. Um, just an incredible, incredible experience. I participate in uh, our regeneration program. It's very honest, it's very open, and yet it's a place where there's not judgment because there's a recognition that we all are broken and we all need that place to heal. I did. I found God in the program, yes. Once I was there, I started learning really what the fruits of the Spirit were. You know, I felt accepted. That's when God started transforming my life right there. Para nosotros fue muy importante llegar a un grupo en el que empezamos a conocer hermanos, porque si no, entrábamos por las puertas y salíamos por las puertas el domingo como si nadie nos conociera y nadie sabía nada de nosotros en realidad. Entonces, um, el, el estar en un grupo fue lo que comenzó para nosotros el poder empezar a conocer hermanos y, y poder recibir de ellos y nosotros también poder dar a ellos también. Cuando mi hermana estuvo hospitalizada el año pasado a punto de morir um, eh, por el COVID, estuvo en estado de coma, me llamó una hermana del eh, Grupo Vida y cuando usó estas palabras que nunca se me va a olvidar, Maritza, te estamos arropando con nuestras oraciones. Eso para mí sentía que esa palabra arropar era Dios arropándome con su fortaleza, con su favor, diciéndome que Él tiene el control de todas las cosas. La Biblia nos dice en Eclesiastes 4.12 que no es bueno que nosotros caminemos solos. Uno solo puede ser vencido, pero dos es verdad más fácil de de resistir. A lot of people are on the fence like I like I was and I just I, I took a chance. Once you get that fit, you'll look back and say I was so glad that I made this decision. La verdad es que veo una cultura de querer crecer y aprender y centrarnos en en el evangelio y en la palabra. Y y yo creo que cuando tenemos oportunidades de hacerlo juntos es cuando de verdad podemos ayudarnos a mantenernos firmes y a verdaderamente crecer. Entonces there, there are so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities to be a part of community. If you're on the fence, just jump off. Just go. Just dive. Go. Amen. You were created to live in community. You don't function way. You don't function well without community. If you were created in the image of God and our God is a relational God, you won't survive unless you are surrounded by other believers. Amen? That's why as you came in in the atrium, you saw all these tables promoting some of our ministries and groups and different types of groups. Listen, I know that there's one of those groups that fits you well. All you have to do is join it. 
find it, and learn how to do life together. Amen? I'm going to call the ushers to please come to the front. Uh, and as we continue in an attitude of worship, um, I want to remind you that one of our spiritual disciplines as believers is to sustain the church financially, to practice generosity. Um, and there's three ways for us to give. You could always give online to go to windbible.org slash give. You could always give you offerings as we pass the plates. Or if you're worshiping with us online, you could always send your offerings uh, to the offices of the church. You may pass the plates. And as we pass the plates, um, I want to give you an update of our uh, financial situation. If you were with us all through the month of December, you know, and if you have been part of the church for a while, you know that every December we go to the church and we plead with the church and we ask the Lord to provide what is needed. Since every December we, we collect about one third of our budget, uh, of, of our yearly budget. And if you were with us, you may remember that at the beginning of December, um, I reported to you that we were a little bit uh, above $3 million short, that we needed the Lord to provide about $3 million uh, by the end of the year. If you remember, I came two weeks later, and I said that the Lord had provided already 50% of that, and that we still had to go about a million and a half to finish our year well. So I'm here to report that by God's grace, because he's faithful, because he's good, and because he is working in you and your generosity, we actually got to finish our year well, and we want to give glory to God. Amen? Listen, I don't know how much money you have, but when I hear $3 million, that scares the heck out of me. So when the Lord provides... Is because he's good and faithful, and because the Lord is working in you and working uh, using your generosity for us to continue to be, continue to do our mission and fulfill our call and be the people that we're supposed to be. So we are reminded of Psalm 100, in which it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Blessed is his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. May the Lord grant us to continue to be a generous church. So we continue on mission. Amen. Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are so, so, so grateful. That we have a God that owns everything. And does everything. We are grateful, Lord, that the future of this church does not rest in, our, in anything we do or anything we can give. We are grateful, Lord, that the security and the future of this church rest in one thing and one thing alone. Actually, one person, one person alone, which is you, the God of steadfast love, the God of faithfulness, the God that would accomplish his purposes. And year after year, we are reminded that that is true. We are grateful, Lord, for your generosity. And we are grateful, Lord, for the generosity, generosity of your church. Lord, and as we start our 2023, we know that 
uh, you will continue to sustain us and you will continue to provide for us. And I also know, Lord, that we have brothers and sisters in our midst that are going through painful and hard uh, circumstances. I pray, Lord, that this year may be a year in which, once again, we get to taste and see your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And in the midst of whatever we go through and we are going through or whatever comes, we rest in that reality that you are our God, that we are your church, and that you are committed to us even when we're not committed to you. And yet, we want to be committed to you. So uh, please speak to us this morning as we think about what our future will look like. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, all right. So for those who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Welcome to Witten Bible Church, second Sunday of 2023. Super excited to be here. Super excited that today I get to answer some of the two of the most important questions anybody could ask. I believe that the two most important questions people can ask is who I am or who am I and why do I exist? Who are we and why do we exist? The first question has to do with identity. The second question has to do with purpose. The first question tells you who you are. And the second question tells you why is it that you exist? That's the question that philosophy tries to answer, psychology tries to answer, uh, sociology tries to answer. That's, those are the questions that some religions in the world try to answer. And I believe that as Christians, if you're a believer, I believe that as Christians, we already have those answers. See, if we are believers, that's because we are in Jesus. So, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says that in Jesus we have been washed Meaning we have been forgiven and accepted. It means that in Jesus, it says that in Jesus we have been justified. Meaning that in Jesus we have been declared righteous and we have a new identity. We know who we are already in Jesus Christ. Forgiven people, accepted people, loved people, redeemed people, uh, adopted people. That's our identity. You are not just anybody. You already have a profound identity in Jesus Christ. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 also says that we have been sanctified. We have been set apart for God and his purposes. Separated by God for God and his purposes. So if you're a believer, whether you feel it or not, you do have an identity and you do have a purpose. As believers, our best days is when we remember and we live in light of our identity. Those are our best days. Our best days is when, because we are in Jesus, we live for the purpose that he gave us. To give him glory, to live for his glory, to live for the, uh, for the good of others. On our worst days, though, we forget who we are. And we forget why we exist. And we either try to find an identity somewhere else, or we try to find a purpose for our existence somewhere else. The struggle that I just mentioned is a struggle that all of us go through. Actually, by show of hands, how many of you guys ever struggle with your identity every now and then? And your purpose every now and then? Anybody that never struggles with that, please don't raise your hand. That's our struggle as human beings because we're still broken people living in a broken world. That's kind of expected. Um, 
one of my responsibilities as a senior pastor is to continue to remind you of who you are and why you exist. But that struggle that we have as individuals is the same struggle that sometimes many churches have, including our church every now and then. Part of the reason is because we hear voices all the time and people tell you all the time what the church ought to be and what the church supposed to be. And it's so easy to hear all these voices and hear other things and pretend other things and adopt other things. And, and to a certain degree, there's nothing evil about that. But I think that the most important thing for us as believers and for us as a church is to remember and live in light of who we are and why we exist. So when I was uh, being considered for the next senior pastor, for those of you that were here about a year ago, um, you, you may remember that the elders invited Heidi and I, my, my, my wife and I, to spend an evening with some of you guys so we could, uh, so you get to know me a little bit and you get to ask questions. Uh, some of those questions, like really, really hard questions. Uh, and part of the reason why I think some people gave me hard questions was because they didn't want me to be the next senior pastor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Probably true. Um, <laughs> what is interesting, though, is that I got all kinds, and we got all kinds of beautiful and amazing questions. Some of those questions easy to answer. Some of those questions really hard to answer. But there was one question, which in my opinion was the best question of the night. So if you were here that night and you asked that question, so this is for you. The best question of the night for me was this. What is your vision for Wheaton Bible Church? Now, I know what people mean, usually mean by that, is what are my dreams, my goals, what is it that we're going to accomplish? What is it that we're going to have in this church that is going to make us known? So in my, head, in my head, for a few seconds, I'm wrestling, right? Because I know what people want to hear sometimes. But I also know that I have these very strong convictions about what the church is and what the church is supposed to be. So listen to my profound answer. I said, my vision for WBC is that we are the church. <laughs> it was like, I just want us to be the church. I don't have any issues with goals and dreams, and I want to accomplish things as a congregation. But I believe that anything, and anything we accomplish, whatever we accomplish by the grace of God, it would only be because we are living in light of our identity and our purpose. That whatever we accomplish as a church is because Jesus created us as a church, Jesus purchased us as a church, Jesus redeemed us as a church, and we are being sent out as that church. So uh, we thought that for the beginning of 2023, it'll be a great idea for me to introduce a new mission statement, uh, a new, you could say, a modified way for us to explain who we are and why we exist. And my plan, at least from a human perspective, is to keep with this mission statement until, until, uh, until we reach our centennial. Did you know that in six years we're going to turn, uh, we're going to become a church of 100-year-old one, church? Did you know that? That's a beautiful, yeah, how about if we give glory to God? The Lord has been good to us for 94 years. 
<laughs> My math, man. Um, in six years, we're going to celebrate 100 years of our existence. Not very churches can say that. And not many churches can say that with pastors that have walked the church very faithful. So we, we got to be grateful for that as well. Now, I want to prep you for my new mission statement. And this is part of the reason why I have this little t-shirt here. Somebody told me that I look like a Superman. The way I do it is like this. <laughs> and that's why I wore my glasses too. Um, this is it. By nature... I enjoy creativity and I enjoy innovation. Like, I really do. I actually have a whole theology why is it that Christians should be creative and should do beautiful and useful things. No issues with that. But when it comes to describing what the church is and what the church ought to be, I don't like creativity. Because I just want you to understand why is it that you are the church? I want you to embrace what is our most, what is the most foundational definition of why we exist. What is the essential description of why is it that Jesus purchased his church? Because I believe that if we understand that, if we embrace that, that is beautiful enough, powerful enough, and motivating enough in order for, in order for us to be effective. So I'm not going to give you a phrase that is memorable. And you'll be like, wow, that was so nice. I'm actually prepping you because once I say it, you're going to be like, well, that was lame. Yeah, that's the idea. The idea is that you see in a simple, in a simple, in a simple way, why is it that we exist? So here we go. Ready? You got to say ready. ready. This is the mission statement. As a church, written by church, with our different expressions and different groups, we exist to love God, love one another, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Simple. We exist for nothing more and nothing less than to love God, love one another, love our neighbors, and love the nations. From my perspective, that is the most foundational thing you need to understand about the church and the most essential thing you need to understand about the church. Because if you think about it, these four words, these four phrases, love God, love one another, love, your love the nations, is, is how we summarize the great commandment and the great commission, which is, which is something that I say oftentimes as I preach. As a church, we exist to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. And we do that by loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors, and loving the nations. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is. Four loves. And that's who, we want, who I want us to be. Now listen, if you don't like that mission statement, that's fine. Don't, don't worry. Wait another six years. And I might change it. <laughs> or wait another six years, and you might not care about that statement anymore. Just stick around to see if the Lord grants us to be able to live those four loves. So this is what I'm going to do today. I want to explain two things. I want to explain why as a church and as believers, love is the unifying theme as, who, as, as how we define how we, why we exist. Why is love a unifying theme? And the second thing that I want to do today is explain the first two loves 
And if the Lord allows it, next week we will come back and do the next two. Right? So if you really want to pay attention to why, what I think the church ought to be, then you have to pay attention to those four loves. First question is then, why use the word love? Love God. Love one another. Love your neighbor or our neighbors. And love the nations. And I think that the most simple explanation, you find it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Look at what it says. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice that it doesn't say that God gives love, which he does. But what the text tells you is that our God, the God we worship, is a God in which his, his essence, character, and nature is love. Everything he does comes from a heart of love. Everything he sends comes from a heart of love. Everything that he allows comes from a heart of love. Everything that he demands from us comes from a heart of love. To know God is to know love, and to know love is to know God. It doesn't matter what the culture says about how we should redefine what love is. It doesn't matter what your opinion about what love should be and my love should be. If you are a believer and I am a believer and if we are Christians, and the end of the, at the end of the day, the only thing that should define what love is and what love is not has to do with who God is. I don't get the right to tell you I'm going to love you my way. You don't get the right to say to anybody, I'm going to love you my way. We love people according to the, to the, to the God we worship because he is love. But then John says something extremely confrontational. It tells you that if you are not a person of love, it's because you don't know that God of love. I think that's super radical. If we don't know how to love, most likely we don't know the God we, quote unquote, worship. You know what's interesting about the word know, though? Every time you see that word in the Bible, or most of the times when you see that word in the Bible, the word to know is not just having information about something. You guys remember Adam and Eve? In Genesis chapter 2, he says that Adam knew Eve. You know what that meant, right? It wasn't that he knew something about her. It's a description of an experience. It's to know the love of God, not just in our head, but with our hearts and affections and emotions. You know, this is the, you know this already because in every relationship you have, you make a distinction of what it means to be, uh, to know about love and experience love. I'm sure that you remember the first time you fell in love. You remember that time? You knew what was the difference when someone says, I love you, and you're like, oh, that's cool. And someone told you, I love you, and you felt it inside. Now, if that person is not the person sitting next to you, then pretend like I didn't say anything. <laughs> but the reality is that there's a difference of knowing about love and experiencing love. And what John says is that Christians are people that have experienced the love of God because God is love. So far, part of our call is to become more and more 
a reflection of who, our, of who our God is, and we cannot become that reflection unless we know God that way. If there's something that should be a mark of Christianity, it has to be love. That should be the one thing we are known for. That is the mark of what it means to be a believer, to have been redeemed, purchased, sanctified, justified, and adopted by Jesus Christ. My prayer is that as we move into the future, we may be known as a church, as a church that knows how to love that we know how to love God, that we know how to love one another, that we know how to love our neighbors, and we know how to love the nations. You know what's interesting? I find it crazy that our hearts are saying, it says something different, the devil says something different, and the world says something different. See, our hearts tells us, the devil tells us, and the world tells us that the best thing you could do for you is to do things. And to accomplish things. And to be defined by the things you do and have. But the Bible says is that what defines us is who we are. And how much we love. You want me to prove it to you? I want you to think for a second, just for a second of someone that has been significant to you, someone that has been important to you. And then think about the thing that you remember the most. Do you remember the most how much they accomplished or how much they did or who they were and how much they loved you? And I'll guarantee you that for most of us, was the second one. At the end of your days and at the end of my days, I don't want to be remembered by the things I accomplished. I don't even want to be remembered for how well I preached or how awful I preached. I don't want to be remembered for the size of the church. I don't want to be remembered for any kind of accomplishment. What I want to be remembered is how is it that I loved because that is the best reflection of the God I worship. That's why as a church, the first thing we need to keep in mind all the time, the first thing is to learn how to love God. That's why loving God is the first love. So in the image we have, we have this trinity. We have a triangle that reflects the trinity. So as Christians, which is, by the way, little Jesus, we are called to reflect the love of the Trinity. We exist to love God more and more and more and more. Simple explanation, we don't know how to love God more. We don't know how to love anybody else in any other way. This is why the beginning of the great commandment says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Someone asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Notice, the greatest commandment in the law. In verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
Jesus says that it's impossible for anybody to become a believer unless we, we love the Lord. And it's impossible for us to live as believers unless we learn how to love the Lord with everything we are and everything we have, with our hearts, souls, and mind. You cannot become a Christian without experiencing that love. And you cannot live out your Christianity unless you grow in that love. We become Christians because of that. We remain Christians because of that. And we grow in our Christianity because of that. This is why Jude says in chapter 1, verse 21, whoever does not love does not know God. Oh, that's what I said before, isn't it? Yes, forget that. This is what it says in Jude. Keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourself. Not know about this once and then walk away. Not remember one time that you were loved and walk away. Don't assume that you can, that you love God all the time. Keep yourself in God's love. Every time we see imperatives like that, I told you this like two weeks ago. Every time you see imperative, imperatives like that, keep yourself in God's love, is because by nature, we don't do that. You know, we, this is a perfect example. We do this in, in, in just regular relationships. Do you know anybody, any, especially wives? Have you ever heard of a wife says, that goes to the husband and says, you never tell me that you love me? You ever heard that? Has that been you? Don't raise your hand. But why do you think that question is there? Because it is always assumed that we love people. It is always assumed that we love God. But if there's one thing that this guy knows is that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to put effort in keeping uh, the love of God in front of us. It, it requires effort to remember and be impacted by the love of God. Question. Do you know how to love like that? Let me say it again. Unless we are known by that, by loving God first, we're never going to learn how to love anybody else. You cannot truly love other people well unless you love God first. You know, I am sure that my wife and my girls love me with all their hearts. But I also know that sometimes I make it hard for them to love me. But I'm also convinced that the only reason why my wife and my daughters continue to love me is because they have been committed to love God and that love has impacted the way they love me. If there's one thing, I've been a Christian for 20-something years, 25 years or so. If there's one thing about the church, I know about the church, is that sometimes every now and you find a brother or sister that are so hard to love. Don't you think that's true? If you can think of one, that's because you are that brother or sister. <laughs> How are we going to be able to do this unless we love God first? And we love him more and more. We exist to love God more and more and more and more. We got to keep ourselves in God's love. 
We got to make a commitment to love God more and more with our hearts, with our souls, and with our minds. We have nothing if we don't love the Lord first. We have nothing. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Silver Chair, has a conversation between Aslan, which represents Jesus, and Jill, which represents all of us as a young girl. And in this conversation, uh, the, lion said, the lion says to Jill, are you not thirsty? And Jill says, I am dying of thirst. Then the lion said, drink. The girl says, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? And the lion says, I make no promise. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then the lion responded and said, you will die of thirst. Oh, dears, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. To which the lion responded, there is no other stream. In a world that is thirsty for love, the group of people that can actually do this is the Christian or are the Christians. You know why I'm so radical to say that? We are the only religion in the world, the only philosophy of life, the only group of people, when I say the only, is the only, in which we worship a God that is described as a God of love. No other religion in the world, no other philosophy, no other system of beliefs have that at the core of their beliefs. But we do. We love him because he loved us first. Which then leads me to the second statement. Second statement of our, of our mission statement is we are called to love one another. And this is the second part of the great commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, it says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourselves. Now, I'm going to try to stretch your imagination a little bit. Not imagination, but I'm going to stretch, stretch your thinking a little bit. Because the tendency for many believers is to read this and apply neighbors to everybody in the world. And I'm here to make an argument and try to convince you that when the New Testament uses the word neighbor, it has two different groups in mind. That when the New Testament uses the word neighbor, it's talking about both the family of faith and people outside the family of faith. All right, listen up. And that as Christians, we are called to love God first. Amen? Wow. We are called to love God first. Amen? Amen? And then his church second. And then everybody else. Of course, I'm including family in that one. You have to love your family. And I want to make an argument why is it that I say that. See, we love people in intensity. We love people different by intensity and proximity. That's, that's common sense. I want to give you three arguments why I think that when the Bible calls us to love our neighbor, it's calling us to love each other first as a family of faith and then everybody else. See, argument number one. 
there is an order of loves. We see that with God, we're supposed to love him first. But we also, for example, we see it in family. I'm supposed to love my wife and my daughters more than I love any of you guys. But then the Bible is going to make the case that I'm supposed to love you in a different way than the way I love everybody else. This is common sense, people. Listen up. If I love my daughters in the same way I love my wife, I'm loving my daughters in the wrong way. See, I am one with my wife, but I'm not one with my daughters. One day there will be a Christian intruder that will come into my family and take my daughters away. <laughs> and they will become one with them. Therefore, my call, especially Paul says, is to love my wife differently to the way I love my daughters. It's interesting because there's a lot of conflicts in families. Part of the reason why there's conflict in families is because those loves are out of order. See, if I love my friends with the same magnitude I love my family, you would say that there's something wrong. Because there are orders in love. The same is for Christianity. There is a type or a kind of love that is, for a lack of a better expression, more intense, more committed for the family of faith than any, anybody else that is outside the family of faith. Just by simple logic. But let me give you a second argument why I say that. Because Jesus said it. We used this passage last week. It says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Who is he talking to? Christians. His disciples. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A mark of discipleship for the Christian is not just that we love God. It's that we love his disciples. You heard that? A mark of our Christianity is not just that we love God, but that we, that we love each other as disciples. Actually, Jesus says that there's a missional component there. The world will know how much we understand and have experienced the love of God by the way we love each other. You know, that has brought a lot of conviction to my heart over the years. Because of what I said, in my time, I think I said this quite a few times, but my best times as a Christian has always been, always been in the church, you know. In the church I got married. Obviously, in the church I got converted. In the church I met my wife. Well, I met her before, but then we got married in the church. As part of the church, my daughters were born. Uh, were born. I, I, I presented my daughters before the church. I became a pastor in the church. I've been loved in the church. I've been protected in the church. I've done so many different things. Church has been always been super important to me. But as much as I have enjoyed the church, my worst times has always been in the church. You know why? Because sometimes we do dumb things. And yet... The Lord calls me to love you more 
or differently to the way I love the rest of the world. And we are called to love each other differently to the way you love the rest of the world. If you don't think that's what Jesus says, then listen to what Galatians says in chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I mean, that's clear. The way we love one another is different. If you are giving yourself for everybody outside the church and you can do it for your brother and sister in Jesus Christ, you have not read those verses yet. And you are violating the order of loves. And then there's one third reason that I think is going to make it super clear. And it's all the one and others you find in the scriptures. Listen up, church. Every single one of those, and I'm not exaggerating, every single one of those one and others in the Bible are applied only to the family of faith. And there were so many that I was tempted to skip them because I got you know, to keep going, but I'm not going to skip them. Because I want you to hear every single one of them. Well, at least 30 of them. To the church in Rome, Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another about yourself, live in harmony with one another, love one another, stop passing judgment on one another, accept one another as Christ accepted you, instruct one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know about that last one, but it's there. To the church in Rome, to the Corinthian church, Paul says, have equal concern for one another. To the church in Galatia, Paul says, serve one another in love, carry each other's burdens. To the church, to the Ephesians, Paul says, be patient, bearing with one another in love, be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving one another, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To Colossians, Paul says, do not lie to each other, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, teach one another admonish one another. To the church in Thessalonica, he says, make your love increase and overflow for each other, love each other, encourage each other, build each other up. Church. That was just Paul. When you read the, next, the rest of the New Testament, you find phrases like encourage one another daily, Hebrews. Spur one another uh, toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, each one of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve one another. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Can you see why is it that in the history of Christianity, the church has been radically different to anything else? See, in most communities in the world, there are always conditions for love. I love you if you love me. I serve you if you serve me. I care for you if you care for me. I protect you if you protect me. 
But if you don't do your part, I don't have to do mine. Almost any community in the world. But the community of believers. If you notice from what I read, there are no ifs. I'm committed to you. Regardless if you're committed to me. Because my God is committed to me. Regardless if I'm committed to him. That's the church. As broken as the church is. As many sinners we gather to worship every week. As much controversy there has been in church history. I dare to say that there's nothing better than belonging to the universal church of Jesus Christ and his local churches. We are a bunch, a bunch of broken people in the, pro, in the process of breaking away from our brokenness by doing at least two things. Loving God and loving one another more and more. The process is slow and painful. But the end result is beautiful. That's why we exist, to love God and to love one another. That's our motivation, and that's our power. See, we love one another. We love God first because he loved us, motivation. We love one another because he loved us first, motivation. We give each other away for him and we give each other for others because that's what Jesus did. Don't we see in Jesus this real sacrificial committed love? My motivation to love you and for you to love me and for us to love each other and to love the Lord is because we have been sacrificially, radically loved by Jesus first. That's your motivation. I mean, if you claim to be a Christian... Who would dare to say, I'm not going to love people like that, when you have received that love? But that's not only our motivation, but that's also our power. Because if we have received and experienced the love of God for real, it is because the Holy Spirit helped us see it, helped us understand it, he helped us believe it, and he applied it. Therefore, we became Christians because the Holy Spirit used the love of God displayed it fully in Jesus Christ. Now listen up. And if that is true, then I'm truly a brand new person. You do have a new identity. You are not the same old person. You might struggle, you might have your things, you might have your temptations, you might have your sins. But you are not the same person. You have been recreated in Jesus Christ. You are no longer bound to your sin. You are not defined by your sin. Therefore, you are free. Free to love God and free to love others. Did you know that this is one of the reasons why we must participate in communion? Did you know that this is one of those things that the Lord created and gave us 
So we grow in our love for him and our love for one another. Listen, there is a reason why Jude calls communion, is my favorite expression for communion, a love feast. It tells you that Christians should know how to party, you know? And it tells you that when we come together and we break the bread and we drink the wine or the juice because, you know, we're with that kind of church. Uh, it's a feast. It's a celebration. And it's a celebration of love. It is when we participate in communion that we remember and we experience the love of God so we could love him more. You know why I use that word experience? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that when we participate in communion, we have fellowship with Jesus. Koinonia with Jesus. Experience with Jesus. And then it also says that when we participate in communion, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that crazy? We get to experience communion with God and communion with one another every time we break the bread and we drink the wine. This is why communion is a celebration for those of us that are already believers. If you're not there yet, I'm going to ask you to not participate this time. Surrender your life to Jesus. And then you can participate. But before participating, though, if we are really going to embrace this new uh, mission statement, you have to ask two questions. Have you loved the Lord as much as he has loved you? And are you loving your brothers and sisters as much as he has loved you? You remember what I told you about three, four weeks ago? Our worst sin is not the things that we do wrong. Our worst thing is that we don't love the Lord as much as we love he loved us. And I would add, in addition to that, our worst sin is that we don't know how to love one another. Love God. Love one another. I'm going to give you a few seconds just for you to reflect on that. And if there's anything you need to surrender to the Lord, please do that.
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says, The cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a fellowship in the blood of Christ? I'm going to ask you to remove... Um, no, I'm sorry, let me, let me keep on going. The bread that we break is another fellowship in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we are many, even though we're many, we're one body. For we all partake of one bread. Communion unites us to Jesus and unites us more and more toward one another. So I'm going to ask you to please remove the side of the bread from your cup, and you may, you may participate. Now I'm going to ask you to remove the side of the cup that has the, the juice. You may participate. Lord Jesus, we ask that just as these elements enter into our system, that we may also remember how much you have loved us. In Jesus Christ and him crucified, to the point, Lord, that in response and gratitude, we love you more and more. And we learn to love each other more and more. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says. How can it be that we gain so much from him who died for us? Let's celebrate that together as a family of God and sing. And can it be? Let's stand.
just share with you something really quick, and uh, I want to invite you to do something. Uh, the thing that I want to share before we finish is that because as a church, we see communion as something so important. Uh, starting today, we're going to start celebrating communion twice a month. So it's going to be the, usually the first and the third of the month. So make sure uh, that you, you prep your mind for that. Second thing is that you know that as a church, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the God that answers our prayers. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, please let us know. Use the QR code, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent.